Welcome to Torah on the Go. If you are on your Stairmaster or walking your dog, driving to work, or sitting in front of your computer, wanting to learn, we're so appreciative that you have decided to take a few moments from your day and learn with myself and the clergy from Valley Beth Shalom. I have my esteemed colleague here, Rabbi Ed Feinstein. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. We are here and we're returning back to the Parshiot, back to the Parshiot of the book of Genesis. This entire season is devoted to the book of Genesis, Sefer Breshit. And we're going to talk about the Ark of Jacob. There's a theme that runs through Jacob's narrative, and that's a theme of trickery. Now, we could argue that even in his birth, he's kind of scheming in the fact that he holds on to the ankle of his brother, or the heel of his brother, so that his brother does all the work, and he kind of gets pulled, pulled, pulled into this world in a, through the inertia of Asaph. But Jacob and Asaph have between them many moments, right? There's the, there's the moment of the soup. There is the moment of tricking his father into the birthright. He goes, Jacob goes, then has to run away after Asaph threatens to kill him. And in, in the old country with his, with his uncle Levan, Levan tricks him on his wedding night into marrying his oldest daughter first, youngest daughter, which is the one that Jacob wants to marry second. So he gets more years of work out of him. Then there's the trickery of the sheep back and forth. And finally, there's the trickery of Jacob leaving in the middle of the night, Levan, while, while Levan is away on a business trip, taking his wives and all of his children and his entire camp and, and, and leaving and trying to head back home. Why do you think in a book really devoted to our familyhood, this kind of scheming trickery plays such a pronounced motif in Jacob's life? Well, trickery this kind of slippery trickery that Jacob is famous for is actually a trope that occurs in many cultures um, and is celebrated in many cultures. And it has to do with the power that is left to the powerless. If, if, the, if, if this character is powerless, if this character is repressed, is depressed, if this character is put down, the way that he overcomes is through trickery. Jacob is the second born in biblical, in ancient, uh, in ancient legal traditions. He would get none of the inheritance. Gurnished. Jacob his, his dreidel hits gurnished. is physically weaker than his brother. Yep. Um, Jacob is uh, a stranger in his father-in-law's home and in his father-in-law's land. In all of these cases, he is the powerless one who must use his wits to find his way through and to find a winning way. Now, that... That trope, that theme, that cultural theme parallels the experience of Israel, parallels the experience of the Jewish people. We were a people in exile. We were a people who were strangers in strange lands. We were the people who did not control the conditions of our own existence. And so we adopted this idea that we can use our brains, we can use our wits we can use our understanding of the world in order to survive. This was an assurance to an exiled people that you're not lost, that you still have resources you can call upon that will get you through, that will find a way. And frankly, that has always been the, the Jewish way. That has always been the way that we survived in diaspora. That portrayal, though, of the Jew cuts both ways. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. 
So on one hand, we have Jacob, who literally takes on the name Israel. So when when you say that this is Israel's way, this is the character that takes on the mantle of Israel, the name of Israel given to him by the angel that he wrestles. You have wrestled with the divine and proven worthy, and he gets this name Israel. That's the meaning of, of the word Israel. That's on one side of the coin. And on the other side, you know, is famously the Shylock from Merchant of Venice, mm-hmm. you know, which is the all of the the deviant scheming of Israel and the Jewish people. When we think about being known in this in this light, this is the danger of that kind of trope. Right. But that's the that's that's the that's the strategy of the powerless. That's the strategy of the power. Look, there's this moment in the narrative. When Jacob goes into his blind father to steal his brother's blessing, he's dressed as his brother. He talks like his brother. And Isaac, the blind father, knows something is wrong. And he feels the boy. And then he makes a comment. And the comment is so telling. He says, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now, you can read that many different ways. You can read that as a, as a, as a statement of wonderment. The blind father doesn't quite understand who this is in front of him. I prefer to read that as the blessing. You will not be whole, my son, until you gain your brother's ability to confront things in the world and not be afraid of them and not use your trickery. You will not be whole until you understand what your brother understands, that the problems of the world must be, must be faced. And that's the reason why his name is changed to Israel. Yisrael, only when he wrestles the angel. He doesn't run away from him. He doesn't trick him. He wrestles him. Wrestling is an, is a, is a, is an act in which you confront the other and you grapple, literally grapple with the other. And in the very next scene, he meets his brother. He divides the camp into two, puts all of the wives and kids and servants ahead of him. And then you expect him to go behind and, and, and again, engineers some sort of trick, but he doesn't. He goes to the front. He stands in front of his brother, and he confronts his brother. And, and the, the interesting thing is at that moment, he's called Israel. He's called Israel. He is really who he is supposed to be when he confronts his problems. But then he reverts back again to the trickster, and he's called Jacob again. Um, Abraham is never called Avram. Sarah is never called Sarai. Their new names are their new names, but his name is Shifty because he isn't sure yet who he is. He isn't sure yet if he has the confidence to walk the world that way. And we, I think, as a people, face a similar kind of situation. We're always a little bit afraid that the circumstances about us will turn difficult. And so instead of facing those circumstances, we, we use our wits in order to get through but instead, the Torah is begging us to take on that power of Esau and confront the issue. We should focus on the very first instance of, or maybe perhaps the most famous instance of trickery or scheming that leads to the, that leads to the, the second. And that is Jacob presenting his brother with stew, with soup, in the moment that he's the most hungry. Of course, sitting with his blind father. These two stories happen almost juxtaposed one on top of the next. And the first clearly is in the Torah to explain to us that Jacob Jacob buys the birthright, Esau sells the birthright, one is not stolen, and that that scene happens in the privacy of Jacob's tent, and people aren't there to see the scene. 
is is profound in the sense that there are no witnesses except for this story. The okay. reader knows something that the characters in the narrative, the other characters in the narrative don't know. Don't know. Right. And so Asav comes and he Asav of course is a is a is a is a hunter and a, a man of the wilderness and Jacob is a tent dweller and um, he is making soup and Asav comes in it's it's brilliant literature in the sense that Asav speaks like a caveman me hungry need soup Jacob lays out this scenario for him then sell me your birthright I'll give you all the soup you want in in kind of a a beautiful sentence structure Asav comes back and just says good he eats the soup and he leaves and in this moment, then, we transition into Isaac coming to Esau and saying, it's time for me to give you your blessing, son. Go prepare for me a meal. And then, of course, Rebecca and Jacob begin this plan. They hatch this plan that, that it should be given to, to Jacob. The reason I'm explaining this whole story to people is because as Rabbi Feinstein begins to explain that Israel and Jacob reflect us. They always, it always has. The story always will. For me, in this moment, as we sit here, while the war rages in Israel, there's also this, this kind of motif of, well, Jacob never gets a fair shake. He made a deal with his brother, and then he has to go and scheme in order for it to be realized. All of these, these backroom deals that are made for him, he still has to scheme to, to make them a reality because it, he's never treated fairly. In that sense, the Torah wants us to understand he has to go and, 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 and imitate his brother in order to get the birthright that he rightfully bought. Is there a degree in that? Is there, a, is there an injustice for Israel that has existed since the, since the genesis of Israel, since the genesis of the character Israel itself? Has there been a, a trope of injustice that we've always had to deal with? And our ability to turn that injustice into a culpable reality has in fact demanded of us a degree of strategy? Oh, it's a wonderful question. I, I read it a little differently. I'll tell you why. You can't buy a birthright. You can't buy a birthright. A birthright is given to you because you were born first. You can't buy a birthright. Not even with soup? Not even with soup. Oh, man. You know? The, the, the purpose of the story isn't that he bought the birthright. You can't buy a birthright. The purpose is to reveal to us who Asav really is. That the thing which was so valued in the family, the, the mantle of Abraham, the mantle of the grandfather, the, 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 the privilege of carrying forward the family was so quickly and, 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 and cheaply given away. It's, a, it's not that he bought the birthright. It's that he, he revealed to, him, to, to, to us and to, to himself who Asaph was. And that Asaph doesn't deserve it right. because he would trade it away so, you know, so superficially without any kind of reflection in it. And the, the, the real question isn't, you know, are we, are we treated unjustly? Of course we are. We're a small people. We have always been a small people. That's the whole trope of our history, is that we are a small people, and yet we have found a way to survive in this world, knowing which character to take on at which moment, when to be Jacob, when to be Israel, when to use our wits, when to confront the conditions that are about us, how to do it. And most of all, we have survived in this because we have something to say to humankind that Jacob, in the end, discovers something about himself. He gains a blessing. 
And that blessing is that you have something to offer humanity. That's the that what the story is a is a remarkable reflection. You have it exactly right. It is a remarkable reflection on who we are and the question of how do we survive in a world that's very hostile to us. And I feel like after thousands of years, we still have not decided. That's the beauty of these stories. That's why these stories are eternally relevant, and that's why we read Genesis year after year and 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 wrestle with the book, is because I regularly encounter Jews who are. Jacob, and I regularly encounter Jews who are Israel. Right. And we still, as a people, as a family, struggle with the identity and the, and the understanding of which one, which would do we want to be. Mm-hmm. And we can never truly become one for very long because we are this kind of, you know, in, 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 in secular cultural terms or in, in Greco-Roman terms, they have the Gemini figure of the, of the, of the two-faced. Janus. Janus, yeah. Uh, Janus. For us, it's very much Jacob and Israel. I mean, we are the, we are, we have these two identities about us. Mm. Of course, today in the 21st century, we are basically split as a people between these two poles, right. between living in Israel, between living in the United States. More than nine, roughly 90% of the Jewish population of the world lives in these two places. Mm-hmm. And yet, I feel often that when I'm in Israel, I meet Israel, meet Israelis, <laughs> and I also meet Yaakovis, Jacobis, and, and, and Jacobites. And in, and, and in the United States, there are... People who should be Israel, and there are people who should be Jacob. The the geography alone doesn't divide us in terms of the outlook, the perspective that we have in the world. Mm-hmm. This is this is part of the complexity of who we are as a people. Yeah, that's a, a very very important observation. The, the, in this story of the blessing, which is the second story, so Jacob goes in on his mother's insistence. By the way. He goes in. She always gets blamed. No, that's the lesson. Always listen to your mother. No, no. In this case, uh, she he goes in, and his father hears him and smells him and feels him, and his father asks him a question. And again, I, I always insist that the questions are the most important part of the narrative, that the questions jump off the page. The narrative is about the question, and the question that Isaac asks him is, Mi atabini. Who are you, my son? Who do you want to be? How do you want to engage the world? What are your deepest morals? What is your conscience? Miatabini also means, who are you as my son? What part of me do you want to carry into the world? What part of your grandfather Abraham do you want to carry into the world? Miatabini, that's what the story is about. It's a story of the revelation of character. And the whole narrative, the whole trickster narrative, as you, as you described it earlier as we go through, is really about the development of this man into somebody who is, has some integrity. He begins to put the pieces of himself together. But it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. And, you know, give away the end of the story. At the very end of the story, Pharaoh in Egypt is going to ask him, how old are you, old man? And he's going to say, I'm 153 years old, and every year was nasty. (laughs) Every year was bitter, miserable. Because his whole life is this struggle. And the struggle isn't only with those outside of him. The struggle is to figure out which of these impulses inside do I need to live by and which are the ones I have to put aside. Unlike any other character in Genesis, I would argue we don't get to see Abraham 
as a child grow up into being the man that he is. We don't get to see Isaac. Isaac grow. Isaac is a. It, it, we don't have a lot of narrative about Isaac. We have a lot of narrative about Jacob. A lot. We don't have a lot of narrative at the end of Joseph's life. We only see Joseph pretty much as a young man. Jacob and Moses stand out in the Torah as two characters that we can track from early childhood all the way to their last breath. So the, also the only two characters in the Torah who sit down with all of their children and say, I'd like to offer you blessings. Yeah. Jacob sits down with the 12 children, the 12 sons that he has. Moses sits down with the 12 tribes. They each bless them. And thank goodness, because that's what Mark Chagall uses in order to make the, <laughs> the windows. Um, thank God that they do that. But they, as a result of living their entire lives to the fullest, as you aptly put it, in this kind of journey of revelation of character for both of them, mm-hmm. at the end would like to bestow blessings upon others. They want to tell you what they've learned, and they want to give you guidance. They want to give us guidance in terms of how we should trek our own journey. And I think that really shows that a person has matured, developed to the yeah. extent that they are, is that they want to help others after them. Right. Jacob is the only character in Genesis with a fully developed inner life. And we really get to see how this man comes to be who he is and the struggles of his life. And the struggles of his life were horrendous. You know, first the struggle with his brother, then the reconciliation with the brother, and then the struggle of his kids. You know, if there ever was an oive character in the Torah, it's Jacob. That's right. And, and again, I, I, it's a metaphor for who we are. The reason why these traditions, these stories were embraced as sacred in our faith and, and told again and again and again was because we found strength in them. We found our own character, our own experience reflected in these characters. And the idea, as you said beautifully, is that at the end, he's able to offer a blessing. He's able to offer a blessing with his children around him. Is a remarkable, remarkable image. We hope that you find these learnings to be a blessing in your life. We are enjoying watching the audience grow for Torah on the Go. If you're enjoying learning with Rabbi Feinstein and myself and the rest of the clergy at VBS, we hope that you recommend the podcast to your friends and family. And we hope that you uh, send us questions. It's been a few weeks since we've answered questions. We'll answer them in a, in a few more episodes. You can go to our website, vbs.org slash podcasts. And uh, we really look forward to hearing from you. Stay on that peloton. Don't fall off. Don't fall off. And we'll see you next time in the next episode of Torah on the Go. Mm-hmm.